challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that announcer. You're you're awesome. One of the top announcers. I'm privileged to have one of the top announcers in radio or television um, or anything, really. He's. Uh, they say you can't listen to uh, the radio or watch television for one day without hearing him 37 times. So that's pretty cool, and I'm very fortunate to have him. The live audience here, this goes right into my ear, so you guys don't hear it, so you don't know how great he is, but he's awesome. And I'm very, very fortunate. Mr. Mr. Barker, J.D. Barker. One of the greats. So today, uh, there's some of you who are logging in. Oh, let me go ahead and turn this chat on. Sorry about that, fellas and ladies. I uh, I forgot. So we got a bunch of people uh, that like to join in the chat. I have it throttled back. Uh, we can take I don't know how many people in chat while on the internet, um, but I only take about ten because uh, the first probably five or six months I did this, I didn't think anybody would care to be on that. And then there were so many people coming on and saying stuff, and I couldn't keep up with it. I, I, it confused me, so I said, oh, let me throttle this back. I just learned how to do that. So welcome to the folks in chat. Real quick, uh, I understand Carson is home. That's a blessing. Uh, it's a huge, huge thing. Thank God. And we pray that the surgery he just recently had uh, will be of great help to him and for all the family. Also, my dear friend, Chris Cahalan, uh, stay in the fight. Uh, he's seeing some friends this weekend, so I'm excited. And uh, thank you to the Cahalan family, also to Linda for uh, kind of sewing with us and what we do here. And it's just absolutely awesome. I'm so appreciative of it. Uh, now, my friend, uh, since kindergarten, my buddy Eric, uh, he's in intensive care. He was all set to go to a uh, rehabilitation hospital. Next day, he was sitting in the chair. Everything was fine. And then it's like they turned the lights off, and now he's uh, they have a he's he's in bad shape. So I uh, just saw him yesterday and. Uh, the thing that kept going around in my mind was this guy doesn't deserve this. He's, he's been a nice guy, good guy since we were little kids. And so if you could, if you can remember to pray for him, his name is Eric, uh, and, and for his family, the people that love him, he's a very, very much loved guy. So I'm very fortunate to have friends like that. So, uh, interesting story, maybe not so interesting for you. Who knows? We'll just see, give it a whirl. I had this sermon written. Uh, and I like to try to have my sermon pretty much written by, I'd like to have it written by Thursday and then the first, and then be working on it, working on it, working on it. And by uh, Friday, I like to have it pretty much finished. But I, I did that this time. I hit my mark. And then this morning, God said, mm, I don't think 
I was on my walk, actually. I was, uh, I don't think you're going to preach about that. I think you were going to change it. So I got home and I worked feverishly on it and, and, uh, and changed a whole bunch of things. And he put everything in place to do it. And I love how he does that. It's just fantastic. Um, it, it is awesome. It's an honor to be used like that. So the Y in the road and a dog named Martha. Now, Y in this case is spelled W-H-Y. W-H-Y, the Y in the road. So wonder what that means. And a dog named Martha. Don't know what that means either. But we'll find out. Ruth 1, 6, by the way, I, I originally, I was only going to preach one sermon from Ruth several weeks ago. That didn't go well. This is what my second or third week, third week or so in Ruth, and I'm loving it. I've, I barely ever have preached on Ruth, really, uh, and I'm really, really having fun with it. So Ruth 1, 6 through 8, and this is the complete Jewish Bible. So she prepared to return with her daughters-in-law. She prepared to return with her daughters-in-law from the plain of Moab, which is Moab. For in the plain of Moab, she had heard how Adonai had paid attention to his people by giving them food. By giving them food. Paid attention to his people by giving them food. She left the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and took the road leading back to Yehuda. Everybody catch that? Well, yeah, Judah, same thing. She took the road leading back to Yehuda or Judah. Just going back somewhere. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, each of you go back to your mother's house. May Adonai show grace to you as you did to those who died and to me. So the two of them, this is verse 19, skipping ahead. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, which is Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, uh, the whole city was stirred with excitement over them. The women asked, can this be Naomi? She said, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She answered them, marah, which means bitter. Because Shaddai has made my life very bitter. I went out full, and Adonai has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasant? Adonai has testified against me. Shaddai has afflicted me. Now, just like Detroit or Chicago or Philadelphia or Wilmington or Ecuador, just like those are no place to be stranded, Moab was no place to be stranded. Moab was not a nice place. And as we've already learned, Moab was a place forsaken of God. Twice in the Bible, uh, God says, Moab is my wash pot. And people just can't figure that out. They say, well, what in the world? That's why you have to look up the Hebrew words. That's so important to look up the Hebrew words because it tells a big part of the story. You know, let me just say this, just for fun. Ecuador, you heard me mention Ecuador. And I've been there, and uh, it, number one place to be pickpocketed is Mexico City. Number two, Ecuador. Ecuador has one of the worst animal abuse reputations in the world. By the way, my the third worst, but my favorite city in the world is Prague, Czechoslovakia. Don't take the M train. Take the M train or the M bus. You are going to be pickpocketed if you don't pay attention, and you won't see it coming. Ecuador has one of the worst animal abuse reputations in the world, specifically dogs. They abuse 
dogs. Nothing against the Ecuadorian people. I know lots of people who are from Ecuador. Um, many of them are very, very nice people. The ones I met were very, very nice. But their view of dogs. My my daughter, uh, Lily, is in veterinary school and at the University of Georgia Go Dogs. And uh, she went to India for seven weeks. And while Daddy was home, scared and nervous every second of every day, she was there taking care of the little street dogs. And she had Dobby. She found Dobby, who was paralyzed and dragging himself across the uh, the way in front of the veterinary clinic. And it was as though he was invisible. You see, India's view of animals, specifically dogs, specifically street dogs, is much different than we have here in America. Much different. The number one most abusive place to dogs in the world is India. Number two is Ecuador. Well, Arthur's a dog. I don't know if you figured that out. Arthur didn't choose to be born there, but he persevered. Now you're going you're to ask me a question, what in the world? Combining Naomi and Arthur. The why in the road and a dog named Arthur. Psalm 68 in the Complete Jewish Bible. Moab is my washpot. On Edom, I throw my shoe. Bleshet, be crushed because of me. Psalm 108.9. Moab is my washpot. On Edom, I throw my shoe. Over Bleshet, I shout in triumph. Washpot. This is an expression of great contempt in Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew language and the Hebrew culture, especially at this time. The washpot speaks of the basin where feet were washed. Where feet were, I mean... It's the dirtiest thing. And uh, God saw Moab as, or Moab, like a bowl of dingy, sweaty, dirty feet, dirt, and foot sweat. And uh, Ecuador is a wash pot for animals. It's very poor, very, very poor there uh, among the people, but it's a hundred times worse for dogs. Now, surely this was no place for a child of God here in, in Moab. Uh, Naomi is seen here as a defeated believer. She had been worn down by the world around her, and finally she decides to head for home. Sometimes home, though, isn't where we thought it would be or who we thought it would be. Sometimes things change. Sometimes things are different. Sometimes where we're supposed to be isn't where we think we're supposed to be. So Naomi was beaten. Now, she was in a bad fix here, folks. She was in a real bad fix. We've talked about it before. She and her family had been in Moab for about 10 years when her sons died. The Bible says she was left of her two sons and her husband. That's in Ruth 1.5. For about 10 long years, Naomi's family had lived disobediently in a pagan land. See, that was the big sin. They had gone to a place where they weren't supposed to go. Hey, Craig from New York, good to see you. I hope the snow is over, and thank you. Welcome to our guests there. Uh, we're glad to have you. Hey, don't laugh. Uh, Tara, who used to come here, uh, now lives in Montana, and they had snow the other day. So, I mean, <laughs> you never know. Anyhow, let's get back to this because we're going to run out of time if I get to talking too much. Although, isn't that really what I'm doing? I talk. That's what a preacher does. He talks. So can he talk too much? Yeah, he can. He can. Let me solve that for you. I'm going to solve, solve that answer. But yes, he can. So Naomi's family, they, they, they lived in this pagan land. They were told not to go there. That's the sin they're talking about there. That's the disobedience. Told not to go there. God said, don't go there. What'd you do? She went there. 
They had forsaken their God and they'd taken up refuge with the unbelievers of the world. You see, the people in that pagan land, they didn't believe in God. They were, they were anti-God. They, not, they didn't just believe in God. They were anti-God and anti-people who believed in God, anti-people who lived for God. Death of her husband and her sons left Naomi destitute. In other words, there was, there was nobody to care or provide for her most basic of needs, the very needs of life or death. Imagine being so desolate. You not only don't have anybody there to care for you in your living, but if you die, there's nobody that has bought into you enough to care enough to bury you. That's bad news. Arthur, back to the dog, a very sick and seriously injured dog who to everyone else was invisible, looking for hope in the most unlikely of places, strangers' faces. Naomi's wayward lifestyle, this is all going to come together. I'm just, I'm seeing you look at me funny, and believe you me, it will. Uh, Naomi, she, she lived a, a very wayward lifestyle, and it, it had taken a toll on her. You ever see anybody lives real hard? Who that's been some hard living? You see them, and it's all over their face. Hard living. They've lived hard, and now whew, they can't lie about it because you just look at their face and see that they've, they've lived hard. They've lived a hard life. And and Naomi, was, she was broken, and she was defeated as a result of running out on God. Nothing to wear you out worse than that. And uh, and really, hey, brother. And uh, everybody say hey to Don. We're praying for him, too. He's fighting cancer, too. He's he's our good good brother. Seems like everybody is. Dang on. Yeah, you know, stress will wear you out. It'll wear you right out. I just mentioned people here with cancer, fighting cancer, and people here that have been through cancer. Uh, a physician here that takes care of sick children, that'll wear you out. Teachers? How many teachers do we have here? Miss Charlotte, I just found out you're a math math person. Long ago. Mm, me and math. Not so much. That's why I got a doctorate in theology. There's very little math. Sorry, I don't like math. I had a bad math teacher when I was young. If I had you, I'd be good at math. I'd be getting all over everybody's nerves right now talking math stuff. <laughs> I was talking to a friend the other day talking about SATs, and we both had to laugh about the SATs, you know, the biggest part. I think I got a 1480, something like that, uh, some some number like that. And uh, But the math I just guessed. I literally just guessed. <laughs> Went down. I didn't do any practice tests back then. It was back in the day. So anyway, the point here is it has nothing to do with math. When you're under stress, it'll wear you out and it'll show on your face. The Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. Sometimes when you're running from a bunch of stuff. Uh, Proverbs 13, 15, the way of transgressors is hard. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear your rough life on your face. The transgressors of Arthur, remember Arthur, we're back to Arthur, the dog. He was an innocent dog. Innocent dog. He, they beat him. They beat this dog over in Ecuador. They beat him. They injured him. Uh, they, they showed no regard for this dog, this sweet dog. No regard for his pain or his injuries or hunger or needs. Nothing. His, it was of no concern. This dog was of no concern to anybody around. Didn't seem like anybody cared. He was essentially invisible. And you know what else was invisible? Compassion on the faces of people all around him. He saw no compassion. He saw no love in his transgressors faces until the passers through 
appeared. He looked into the face of a stranger and decided no matter how dangerous, no matter how difficult, really, no matter how impossible the journey, that's my human. I'm going with that. There's no real or lasting satisfaction among the enemies of God. By the way, I think if you abuse the elderly, if you abuse the innocent, if you uh, people that are infirmed, you're an enemy of God. You're not just an enemy of people. You're an enemy of God. I absolutely believe that. When a child of God leaves the place where God has put them and goes after the things of this world, you know, you leave you leave the the security, the umbrella of God. And even if there are tough times as a believer, a follower of the way, when you enter those tough times, it's it's still a better life than if you're a, a, an unbeliever. And you're out, you're transgressing God, you're doing all these things, going where he told you not to go. But you know what else it does? It makes you have a defeated life. You ever know anybody like that? Their life is just defeated. they're, They're defeated all the time. They're just always defeated. They're always running defeated. Now, she had left her faith. She lost her family. What else was there? Sin and transgression against God saying, don't go there, you stay here. That had sucked all the hope and the joy, really, of life completely out of her soul. Have you, have, have you ever had? Now, you don't, ra- you don't need to raise your hand here in the radio audience. If you raise your hand, I won't know. So you can raise your hand if you want to. I can't control that. Amen. Have you ever had every last bit of your hope and your joy sucked out of your soul? Have you ever been in that place? Naomi was like this. And Arthur the dog. He was like this too. Almost. He was almost there. Back to Naomi. Naomi was barren. In verses 8 through 13, Naomi attempts to send Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah, and Ruth back to their homeland and back to their pagan gods. Just go on back there. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. That's in Ruth 1.8. Unfortunately, Orpah, not Oprah, took her advice, and she is in hell today. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. That's Ruth 1.15. Look, don't ever listen to somebody who isn't trying to walk with God. Now, I didn't say walking with God. I said trying to walk with God. Are any of us in this room perfect? No. We're not perfect. Perfect. Amen. Hashtag, Hashtag perfect mess. Perfect mess. That's right. We're a perfect mess. Some of us appear better than others, better have our stuff together. But the reality, none of us are perfect. Look, Yeshua is in heaven, and we're all going to see him soon enough. But here on earth, there just aren't any perfect people. Now, note to self, if you think you're the perfect person, keep looking because it ain't you either. Naomi continues trying to send the girls away. Now, she's trying real hard to get them away. She says, look, I can't provide anything for you. I can't provide anything for myself. That's not what it said in the verse, but I just kind of summarized. But let me read the verse for you. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more husbands? Man, stuff is... Let me read this for you. Look, things were bad for her. I don't think I have to try too hard to convince you, but let me try a little bit harder. Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? 
Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons. In other words, she had no hope. That's Ruth 1, 9-12. Now, she speaks to the fact that she's an old woman. She's never going to have another family. Now, I don't want you to miss that. She's never going to have another family because she had no family. Her family was gone. Family's everything in Hebrew community. It's everything. Now she doesn't have any family. Arthur had no family. Arthur the dog. He had no family. He was injured. He was hungry. He was sick, and he was all alone until. Now, Naomi knew she had nothing to offer Orpah. Again, not Oprah. Please don't sue me. The rest Naomi spoke of was not absence from toil or labor, but security for their future lives. She couldn't get, they're not going to get any rest. They're going to be struggling the whole rest of the time. Hey, you hang with me, and it's going to be trouble. I was talking with my mother yesterday uh, about a friend who has passed, and, and uh, she brought nothing but pain, sorrow, and trouble to people in her life. God rest her soul. Uh, I understand that she found Christ and was a follower of Christ afterward, but, or toward the end, my age, you know, died of cancer. Left a lot of heartache and pain in her, in her past. Security. Look, I, I don't care who you are. Security is a big thing. Security is a big thing. To some degree, security is looking for that sure thing. You know you're going to be safe. You know you're going to be all right. You know you're well. Ever hear that song, It Is Well With My Soul? I said, I was talking to somebody the other day, talking about a hymn. and I was I was rattling off some of the lines from a, a hymn, the old rugged cross. And they were like, I'm sorry, no, I don't can't place it. I don't know what that is. And I said, what kind of church you go to? And it was one of those churches that, you know, they don't have hymnals or anything, and they don't have hymns. They they sing, you know, the the uh, worship songs, which I'm not against the worship songs if they're scripturally based. I, I like that, all right. Uh, and some of them I really like. But man, come on, let's let's throw a hymn in there somewhere. Get us some scripture up in the music. Anyway, all that said to say this: security is a big deal. It's a real big deal. She was speaking. Uh, Naomi was speaking of them remarrying and settling down to a better life. And Naomi was barren, so she figured if they followed her, they'd end up barren too. Whoa, what is that show? Uh, Hee Haw. Remember that show, Hee Haw? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Anybody, sing with me. Come, come on. Huh? What? Come on. He's not depressed, there's brownies. Amen. So Naomi, she sees her life as totally ruined, like that little quick song nobody sang along with me. Maybe you folks at home. Of 114,000 listeners, I'm hoping that somebody jumped up and sang them a little hee-haw song. Maybe not. Hashtag, he's done lost it. But she was, look, she figured, man, things are so bad for me that this this bad, this, this stank that's on my life is going to rub off on you. Better get away while you can. It's better you go back to your pagan place with your families, they, don't, they have worship other gods. You're better off doing that. She saw her life as over, totally over, as far as any practical purposes go. She had nothing to look forward to, and neither would Orpah or Ruth if they stayed with her. Have you ever been in a place where you thought there was simply nowhere you could look at it? Nowhere, nowhere in your life. You couldn't look anywhere and find it going swimmingly. 
You look over here, that's messed up. You look at your job, that's messed up. You look at your house, well, they got leaks and they got smells coming from places and, you know, all these different things. And But now you got a leg ache and you got a neck ache and you got a this ache and a that ache, right? You forgot to pay a bill, they done shut your electric off, so now you can't watch the television, little tiny TV anyway. Just everything's going bad. Try to start your car, car won't start. If Arthur the dog stayed right there in Ecuador, I'm going to tell you this. If he stayed right there in Ecuador, he would not have lived much longer. Whatever days Arthur had remaining, he'd be lonely, he'd be hungry, and he'd be in pain. There's a lot of looks at me right now. The live audience talking about, man, what is he talking about? You'll see. You will see. For Naomi, and really for all of us, life out of the will of God is always a barren life. It's barren. You're not going to bear any good fruit. Nothing of any lasting value is produced in total disobedience to God. Now, Naomi was bitter. Y'all know bitter. You know some bitter people, don't you? As Naomi comes into Bethlehem, someone asks, is this Naomi? Right? They, she was known there, right? They knew her. It's not that big of a place. So they knew her. But she looked different than when she left. She looked different than when she left. I've done funerals where I knew the person pretty much their whole life. And then I get a look at the casket, and I don't recognize the person that's in there. Because a hard life will change the way you look. Time away from God, it takes its toll. It even changed Naomi's appearance. Notice her answer. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Ruth 120, the name Naomi means pleasant. According to her name, she was the type of person who was always happy. She was always happy. She always had a positive outlook on her life. From her name, you would think that she'd always looked on to the bright side. But notice how quick she was to set him straight. Call me not Naomi. Pleasant, call me Mara. Remember what I said. The word Mara means bitter. Back to the dog, bear in mind, Arthur the invisible dog from Ecuador, he was injured. He was bleeding. He was starving. And he could have been bitter. He could have turned into a mean dog, figuring, you know what, i got not much time left. Bitter to the grim hopeless end. The difficult circumstances of Ruth's life had soured her. But for some reason, the dip, well, I don't want to say difficult, the impossible circumstances, Arthur still had hope. Find or see hope unless and until you're looking for it. I think maybe that was the difference. Naomi, she'd endured some tough times. She'd lost her husband and her children. She lost her entire family. All gone. The years in Moab were hard and they were hurtful, and Naomi, like many people today, became bitter. When a stray, injured, coat all matted and bloody and bleeding and infected, smelly, hungry dog approaches you, I want to ask you, aren't you a little bit concerned for your safety? Let's just put yourself there. You're sitting somewhere, and all of a sudden this dog, mangy, nasty, infected, pus coming out of big old sores and ears and ticks and all kind of mess all over the dog. And you look at that dog, you get a little nervous, right? Coming towards you, you think, mm-mm. Hey, I don't even want to touch the dog. I, I don't want to touch this dog. I don't know what diseases this dog has. Maybe that dog might be bitter about their abused state, their hunger, their injury, their station in their life. Let me tell you something about bitter. Bitterness is a deep-seated, long-burning resentment. Bitterness is an anger that is constantly brooding. Bitterness is a map to nowhere good. I'm telling you right now, I've been bitter in my life. It's no good place. Noah Webster, he commented on it. says, bitterness is an extreme enmity, grudge, hatred, or rather an excessive degree of implacableness of passions and emotions. Paul 
Shaul. He describes bitterness as the state of those who have failed of the grace of God and are therefore uh, troubled and defiled. Hebrews 12.15 puts it this way, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble in you, and thereby may many be defiled. The child of God, we're supposed to be sweet, not sour. I say this all the time. If you're a sour, you know, bitter person, but you're a Christian and you have a bumper sticker on your car talking about follow me to such and such church, go scrape that bumper off until you can find a way to smile. Scrape that bumper off until you find a way to be positive. Just for five minutes a day, be positive. Many people are harboring bitterness, which if you don't resolve it, I'm telling you, eventually it permeates It permeates and it sours the entire life. Your whole life will be ruined by bitterness. Bitterness is described as a root springing up in Hebrews 12, 15. It is likened to a dangerous weed growing in a bed of flowers. You guys that follow me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff at the Ninja Pastor, you see all those flowers I, I plant? Well, look, somebody wasn't bitter. Somebody went out there and planted them. Somebody went out there and watered them. Somebody went out there and fed them, gave them fertilizer and whatnot, trimmed them, took good care of them. Can't be bitter if you're taking care of the garden. At first, you know, the weed of bitterness, it's a root just under the so- just under the soil. But it's there and you don't see it, and it's stealing the nourishment from the plant, from the flower, from your joy. And then it springs up. All of a sudden you can see it, and before too long, it's choking and destroying the rest of life and the rest of your garden. Your life in the garden, it's all choked, and you're getting robbed of joy because the weed has stolen it. Failure to weed out the root of bitterness ensures defeat in your life. Listen, if you don't get rid of bitterness, you're going to be defeated. This is what happened to Naomi. All the hurt and the pain made her bitter toward God. Some people, and you know what? I know you know them. They're perpetually bitter. They blame everything and everyone but themselves. Bitter against God and everything else, and they never make the connection between their own behavior and actions and their current condition. Can I, somebody give me an amen and a raised hand if you know somebody like that? You know, people pointing at me and stuff, radio audience, you didn't know. No, nobody pointing at me. I'm just kidding you. But to be fair, though, bitterness, because fairness is important. I think fairness is a very important thing. Don't you also know that jewel of a person that no matter what happened in their life, whether through their own fault or whether through no fault of their own, just life being hard. Your life is hard. But they're happy. They're not bitter. They're looking for hope. You know, who knows somebody like that? Maybe some of you are that person. My mother, you know, I I, uh, I took a big risk and put a photograph of my mother on the Facebook yesterday. And I'm telling you what, she's a little tiny 87-year-old woman, but I hope she don't ever find out about it because she doesn't like her picture taken. But she was that person. Always finding hope, always finding a way to chug through. You know, no matter how dire the circumstances, just keep, let's keep going. I've got heaven waiting for me. I've got work to do here. Work until he comes. There's no hope in bitterness. I don't know if I can emphasize it. There's no hope in bitterness. Bitterness is an anger in its most poisonous stage. Bitterness is a deep-seated anger that stews deep down inside until its poison rules your heart. Bitterness is the most dangerous form of anger. Someone said resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Completely destroy you. There's no doubt about it. It will completely destroy you. Bitterness is holding on to an offense until it has a chokehold on you. And I'll tell you what, bitterness sometimes doesn't let go. And I've dealt with many people that are backslidden of God and often comes because of bitterness. And, hey, if I'm being real, 
I've been that bitter, backslidden person at different times in my life. Bitter for all the wrong reasons. Bitter folks blame God for all that's wrong in their lives, and they are bitter with God, but they never look at their own life. Their own bad decisions after bad decision after bad decision to make the connection. They never do that. This was the case with Naomi. She left Bethlehem pleasant. Bethlehem. She left there pleasant, but she came home bitter. You know what? Naomi was blameful. Notice how Naomi blames God for her mess. She said, For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then ye call me Naomi, seeing that the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. That's Ruth 1, 20 and 21. Now notice how it's all God's fault. She's being real clear here. It's all God's fault. This is all God's fault. He did this to me. What she's saying here is things were pretty good when I left here, but look at the mess I'm in now. Have you ever blamed God for the predicament in your life? Maybe you're you're in a predicament. You are in a predicament. And all of a sudden you look around and you say, mm, guess what? This is God's fault. A lot of times people preface it with, a loving God wouldn't let his people suffer. You know what? That's just like blaming the plumber that just was in your house fixing your kitchen sink. You had a leak in your kitchen sink. You go out to start your car, the car won't start. Well, that's the plumber's fault. You know what? My my cousin Dave, he's a plumber, been a plumber for many, many years. He That's actually happened to him. People blame. He fixes something in their house, fixes their toilet, their sink, whatever, and they go out and start the car. Well, that car ran when before you came here, literally, and they were serious. They weren't kidding around. But if we could all get stuck blaming the wrong, all the wrong people for what ails us, that dog Arthur, you know what he could have done? He could have blamed all of the abusive owners maybe he had. He could have blamed the people that didn't know him but kicked them as they walked by. All the people in Ecuador who turned out, they, they just turned this poor dog out into the wilderness with nothing. No food, no family, no love, no nothing, no light. He could have been bitter, but he wasn't. We saw a hint of Naomi's bitterness earlier. She told Orpah and Ruth, For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. That's Ruth 1.13. That's dark. Yeah, the hand of the Lord was against her. You know, sometimes we've got to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and say, yeah, the consequences of doing the opposite of what he said to do, don't go to that land. Stay here among your people. No, I think we're going to go to that land. I know better. And so we, we hop on our little Mazda cart or whatever kind of cart they had back then and go tracing off to the pagan land where they don't worship God. They don't honor God. There's consequences. Yeah, the hand of the Lord was against her. Of course it was. But she failed to admit that it was her actions that brought the Lord's correction and judgment upon her. Sometimes the consequences of our choices, they're painful. I say all the time, look, we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the flame of the torch burning our skin. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes, as you know, and I've got to tell you, I know this well. Sometimes even though we seem to do everything right, Life goes sideways on us. Sometimes the car crosses the center line. Sometimes the, the checkup. But you know what? Sometimes the checkup comes back like you. We have a huge phrase for Bill. Great, great report. But sometimes it's the worst possible news, and my goodness. Bitterness should never be the outcome. 
We've got no excuse to be bitter. Bitter people always have someone or something else they think is to blame. Shaul describes the bitterness as the state of those who have failed the grace of God. Remember what I said, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble, spring up trouble in you, and thereby many be defiled. Let's remember that bitterness, it's always self-inflicted, right? It's like the joke, the meme, the guy with the gun to his head. Nobody move or the Polak gets it, you know, or whatever pejorative they want to do, you know. You ever see that? Come on, somebody's had to see that joke. I'm not the only one. Yeah, sure. You know, you think, come on, buddy, you're hurting yourself. But they don't get it. They don't, they just don't get it. But you know what? I've learned something. Bitterness is not something someone else can do to you. You're the only one that can make yourself bitter. Oh, sure, I can make you angry. Amen? Anybody in here I've ever made angry? I'm sure I have. Friends that know me from childhood or whatever? I'm sure. I never made Eric angry. I didn't make him mad because he was, he was too cool. for God was so cool, nothing made him mad. He was. He, was the cool, he is the coolest dude ever. He'll be the coolest guy again. You're the only one that can make yourself bitter. I can't make you bitter. I can make you angry, but I know I can't make <clears throat> make you bitter. I can hurt you, but I can't make I can physically hurt you, but I can't make you bitter. That's a choice you make. People who abused Arthur, the dog, they hurt him terribly, but he wasn't bitter. Bitterness occludes our eyesight, the sight that comes from our heart. Bitterness blocks any hope of good in our lives. Bitterness most often blocks God's rescue. If you're bitter, the Father, Heavenly Father, is not going to come rescue you from the place you are if you are mired in the mud of bitterness. Then on top of bitterness, we then heap anger. We cause our own bitterness when we fail to put away anger. I'm telling you what, don't stay mad for long. Don't be one of those people that just stays mad. Remember what I said, bitterness is anger in its most poisonous stage. Deep-seated anger that's stewed deep down inside until poison starts to rule the heart. Bitterness is like taking poison, remember what I said, and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness is holding on to an offense until now it has a hold on you, and sometimes it doesn't let go. Somebody said bitterness is anger that is so deep and so pervasive that it colors a person's entire perception of life. Once you go bitter, everything else looks bad. This was Naomi's condition when she came home, but it wasn't Arthur's. Arthur the dog. Yeah, I know, Naomi's a human, Arthur's a dog, but you'll learn a lesson in that. Naomi was broken. She was. She was broken. Praise the Lord. There's something to be said in Naomi's favor, though. Finally, Naomi came to a place that she considered home. Hey, you know what? Sometimes we don't learn until we're broken. Amen? Anybody? Anybody been there? You're, you, you were at the bottom, man, and you say, man, it can't get any worse, and then it gets a little bit worse. And then you're like, mm-hmm, this is the worst, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep quiet, lest it get even worse. And you th- and all of a sudden, though, you're at that place, and you're like, you know what? I need to make a change. This was the right move when she considered going home. Text says, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited people and given them bread. Wherefore? She went, for, she went forth out of the place where she was. That's Ruth 1, 6, and 7. Hope is starting to appear on the scene for her. Naomi is defeated and depressed, and she hears of God's goodness in visiting his people. Now, the dog Arthur in Ecuador somehow showed up when adventure racers. They converged on his little town in Ecuador. These racers, they do four or 500-mile races on running, hiking, climbing, rappelling, bicycles, canoes, kayaks. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy business. It's, it's the most arduous race in the world of any type. 
And these strangers, just to let you in on something, these strangers that come from all over the world to Ecuador to race in the world championships, you don't get to go to the world championships unless you're really, really good. Arthur didn't know them. Had never seen them before. And they didn't know him. And he looked awful, even scary. Most commentators say that Naomi was the only, look, she was only going home because the famine was over. Now, I'm not so sure, but praise Hashem, she did come home to the end of herself. When, when she came to the end of herself, she, she considered home. The end of, I don't know if you know what that means. The end of yourself in Hebrew is, is you, you are at that point where you no longer think that you've got it figured out, that you know the way. Anybody been there? I've been there lots of times. Slow learner. She got back to the place where she was before she left God. I believe she was a little bit like the prodigal son who sat by the hog pen. You remember that story? The Bible says, and when he came to himself, remember, that's the Hebrew idiom. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to, to spare, and I perish yet with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Remember this. You undoubtedly know, look, is it about food in both cases? Real world hunger. He was hungry. And that motivated the prodigal son to start thinking of home. And from there, he faced the fact that he had sinned. Look, the story would be very, very different if he didn't face. Look, if he wasn't repentant in any way, he'd still be in the same place. And I, I'll tell you this, I think his father would have had a different response to him. But that's not how the story went. He realized his place. He was hungry and he was messy. He was a place where a Jew would never be. But he realized he had done wrong, and he returned to his father. Sometimes, you know what? Being hungry isn't hungry enough. Sometimes being without isn't empty enough. Now, I believe the prodigal son, it was a genuine repentance, but it didn't come until he was hungry enough. Now, Naomi's out there in Moab. She's beaten. She's barren. She's bitter. She's blameful, and she's broken. And when she heard of God visiting her homeland, she felt an emptiness in her soul, and she became homesick for Bethlehem. She may have come home with a, a bad spirit, but she did come home. That's the first and main step to getting things right. Recognize your true position in life and come home. I thought it was interesting. I was driving by a Catholic church the other day. Nothing against Catholics. Please don't be offended. But it said, Catholics come home. And I got to think about it. I remember in seminary I saw where uh, the Catholic church is declining at a rate of 13 to 17% annually claim to be a Catholic or not a Catholic, people that actually go attend and participate in Catholicism. I thought that was really interesting. I looked it up and the number's gone up. It's, it's like 27% now. It's terrible. It's, it's just a shame. Look, unless you think I'm, I'm beating on Catholics, every, every single faith except one, except one, is experiencing that. Don't, don't let anybody tell you that Islam is the only one that's growing. That's not true. That's not true. Christianity and, and being a follower of the way, people are finding their way back home a lot more than you think they are. Islam is growing exponentially, though. Be aware of that. More to say about that on Wednesday. I want to say this. Sometimes you have to feel the pain, you have to feel the torch, and you have to realize your position. You have to say, you know what, I need to go home. Your true position in life and go home. Sometimes home isn't where you think it should be, though. Sometimes it isn't what you think it should be. I had a bunch of bees in there. I don't know if he picked it up. Naomi was beloved. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Ooh, ooh, that doesn't sound happy. Despite all of her faults, she realized one of the greatest truths of Scripture, the providence of God is a great, great doctrine. Hashem 
provides. Naomi made a clear choice. She, she chose. She chose to leave the comfort of home, but God dealt with her to bring her back, hastening you back to home. Where is home to you? Let me finish for you the true story of Arthur. I know you've been waiting. You've been thinking, my goodness, what in the world is this guy talking about? Arthur is an Ecuadorian street dog who attached himself to a Swedish extreme sports team. They were competing in the Adventure Racing World Championship in 2014. Remember what I said. You don't get to go to the World Championship unless you're one of the top 20 or 30 teams. Teams of four or five people. And and I've got to tell you, Ecuador, they chose Ecuador because of what? The Amazon, the rainforest, and all the, the – uh, it's, just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Absolutely nuts. The most arduous – competition ever people die 70 people have died doing this adventure race november of 2014 mikhail lindnord of sweden was in ecuador as a leader of the four-person team peak performance competing in the adventure racing world championship in the amazonian rainforest where he offered a canned meatball to a street dog that he named king arthur you see here's what happened they were in a transition area. He walked into the racer's uh, staging area where you finish a stage, you lay down, you pass out, you shove food in your mouth, you try to drink water, you, 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 you know, he, try to put stuff on your wounds, your blisters, your cuts, whatever. They'll sew up your cuts, whatever they got to do. And they're there and they're out of it. And they're sweaty and dirty and hot. This is on film. I, I'm just going to give you that secret. This how this happened, when it happened, happened because a videographer happened to be videoing it. One of the most beautiful stories you will ever watch in your life, and it's filmed, it's happening, and they didn't realize at the time what was happening to them. So Arthur walks into this racer staging area slowly, right up to Lindnord. Strangers, total strangers, but the top five, Lindnord and his team, they were in the top five. I mean, this is a big deal, real big deal to be here. Lindnord said with awe that there was something very different about this dog. He saw the dog walking to him, and you could see from 20 feet away that this, this was a dog in peril. This was a creature near its end. It was very obviously hungry. It was very obviously very sick. It was very obviously had never been cared for in its entire life. But he said, something's different about this dog. They should have been afraid of this mangy dog. They should have. Someone's going to jump off that dog and get on me. Look at all that infection on the dog. Had a wound that was about 10 inches on its back. Severe wound. They should have been afraid of it. But he said, none of the team members were. We weren't afraid of it. We were smart enough to know better, but we just... We didn't. He said when it was time to resume racing, they started off. You know, they left the staging area, and they get down the road, and you know you ever have that feeling that somebody's looking at you? And they turn around, and about 20 meters behind them, here is that dog behind them. They'd slow down a little bit. He'd slow down a little bit. They'd pick up the pace a little bit. He'd pick up the pace a little bit. He was in a race, man. When they'd stop briefly, Arthur would gently come near. He'd come near them, not as though he was afraid of them, as though they would abuse him, as everyone else had. He approached them as a friend. He didn't beg for food and said, this dog doesn't look like it could walk 100 yards, let alone. We have 100 plus more miles to go. 
what in the world is this dog doing? This dog didn't look like it walked 100 yards, but miles and miles and miles over rocky terrain, climbing very steep things and sliding down hills. And, oh, my goodness, it was just amazing. How long would Arthur follow them? How long could Arthur follow them? Remember what I said, he didn't beg for food or water. Arthur didn't beg for food or water, but they shared their food. Guess what? When you're on one of these races, you only have so much food. Nobody provides you food. You have to bring your own food, and you can't eat anything else. So if you give somebody food or water or nourishment or medicine or anything that you've brought, guess what? That takes it from you. He wasn't following them for food or water. He was following them for hope. There were many other teams in the staging area, but Arthur only followed this team. As they ran, Arthur ran with them. They pick up the pace and run. Here comes this little dog running. They think, well, how's this dog even doing? It looks like it's near death. Then all of a sudden, after many, many miles of hiking and climbing and running, scratching and clawing at tough terrain, they come to the water's edge, ocean kayaking time. And the the whole team was like, what happens now? We're, we're miles and miles and miles from anywhere where he'd ever get food. He'll surely die here. What do we do? Do we bring him with us? How do we even do that? We're in a kayak, for Pete's sake. It's a terrible decision to make because they had given this dog food and water and medicine. They would leave the animal at water's edge, alone and hopeless again, and they had decided, no, we'll take him with us. They traveled from Sweden to Ecuador, not to compete, but to win, and now they're worried over this dog. Turns out they didn't have to make the decision because a race official said, you can't take the dog with you. Can't do it. So they had to, with tears in their eyes, they had to paddle away into the ocean current without the dog. But about 10 meters, they'd, they'd rode about 10 meters, and all of a sudden they heard a splash. And all of a sudden they look back and they see a dog with its nose, doggy paddling, hard as he could go. Get on me, guys. You need me. I'm part of the team. He swam alongside of the team leader's kayak, right next to it. Ocean water, folks. Can you imagine how bad the salt water felt with all those sores? At one point, the dog became weaker and weaker, and he was having a harder time keeping his nose above the water. And Lynn Nord said, Heck with those officials. Let me pull this dog into this kayak. Pulled the dog in the kayak, and the dog was like, Oh, thank you, brother. Whatever Swedish words for thank you, brother, are. I only speak Ecuadorian, but we have a connection. They have, a, they have a language. And, and Arthur, he welcomed the respite. He was thankful. Although, and this is, this is on film, the, the videographer was following them. When he'd see a fish in the water, he'd jump out of the kayak and try to catch the fish. Unbelievable. And they'd wait a little bit. Remember, they're in the biggest race of their lives. Biggest race of their lives. And they'd slow down so they could pick Arthur back up 
and put him back in the kayak. Over 100 miles later, Arthur crossed the finish line with them. With the team. A little bounce in his step. Hey, guys, this is the finish line? This is what we're doing here? All right, let me get in the picture. And they turn and they look back. They say, that's that going dog. Look at that dog. After which uh, the team raised money through a Twitter campaign they did, and they got assistance from the Ecuadorian Minister for Social Affairs, and they obtained permission from the Swedish Board of Agriculture, uh, the team leader, Lynn Nord, the one that Arthur came up to. They got permission to bring him back to Sweden. He was so sick. When they got him to a vet, they had to quarantine him for 120 days. He was that They got him to the vet. The vet said, I don't think this dog's going to survive. I don't think it's going to survive the care that it needs. I don't think it's going to make it. It's so sick. The dog had just swam and run and climbed over 100 miles. How in the world did this? The vet is looking at them going, he did what? I figured they figured he was about seven or eight. My dog on May 23rd will be, my dog Buckeye will be eight years old. May 23rd. Dog wasn't a puppy. They didn't know how old the dog was. Required tons of care, dental care, wounds that had been so infected for months. Had to have dental surgery. In March of 2015, uh, they had to do an operation, and then they had a press conference. And then they went to live with Lindord and his family and shortly after in, in Sweden. And, uh, and shortly after he got there, Lindord's wife had a baby. And they, this, you know, who knows if this dog, Arthur, had ever even seen a baby. They were concerned. They said, we don't know anything about this dog. This special, special dog. But they, what they did was when they got to the house finally, you know, out of quarantine, they opened all the doors to the house. They got out of the car. They lifted the dog onto the ground. And they just stood there. And Arthur looked at the doors, looked at the house, and said, how about I go in? I want you guys to be comfortable, make sure there's nothing bad in there. I'm going to go in, protect you. I'll check everything out. Maybe I'll lay on a nice soft rug, rest a little bit. I've been through a little. And, hey, uh, maybe I'll be your family. Maybe I'll let you be my family. We'll strike a deal. In May of 2015, Arthur accompanied the team in the Wings for Life World Run in Kalmar in Sweden. The team started a charity named Arthur's Foundation to help street dogs in Ecuador. Community Dog, it was a community dog project that they did. They provide food and veterinary care. Lindord co-wrote a book about Arthur, which was published in 2016. If you can watch the video of it and read the book without crying, I'm going to say you probably don't have a soul. In late November uh, 2014, now we go back a little bit, 2014, this dog is all over the place. There's millions of Twitter hits. The YouTube video has received 40, 50, 60 million hits by this time. They're doing fundraiser after fundraiser. Guess what happened? Oh, you know what happened next. Famous dog, Vicente Quinones uh, of Quininde in Ecuador told an Ecuadorian newspaper that Arthur was his dog and his name wasn't Arthur, it was Barboncho. By late December, there were many others that claimed to be Arthur's owner. But <clears throat> after a petition was started by Ecuadorians asking that the former owners, whoever they were, 
be punished for causing all these terrible wounds. Mysteriously, all the claims were dropped. Hey, my dog. God didn't disown us. When we were mangy. We were infected. We were hurt. And we were invisible. He cleaned us up. He loved on us. He provided for us. He rescued us. Pulled us into the boat. But you know what? When we're all cleaned up, long after our wounds have healed, we need to realize, as believers, there are many more Arthurs out there with mangy coats, living in pain, lonely and dark, without Christ. I mentioned my mother at the beginning. You know my mom is responsible for countless lives coming to Christ, one after the other, in the most amazing, amazing ways. We need to remember, long after the wounds have healed, there are many, many authors out there. They need to be seen. They need to be fed. They need to be healed. They need to be pulled into the boat. We need to our home. We need to open the doors of our life. Because you know what? That's what we're called to do. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.